a $20 pair of cycling gloves today is a $1,500 bike in a year, every touch point counts. And I always think about that because yeah, I could have, I could have even just gone in there to get a water bottle. And if they created a really good experience for me, like that would have made it like a lifetime customer too. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. What does customer experience mean to you? Is it the way you're treated when you walk into a store or when you sit down at your table at a restaurant? Or maybe it's the ease or lack thereof when you're trying to buy something online. Customer experience is a term that seems to be thrown around quite a bit in B2C buying environments. But the things we experience as consumers without question shape our expectations as business buyers too. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So I'd like to welcome both Sultana Mangal and Annie Doley of our own agency, Gorilla76, to the show. Sultana Mangal is an account executive at our agency, Gorilla76. She's a master at building strong relationships with her clients and creating exceptional client experiences. Sultana works closely with clients to ensure all goals are achieved and that work is buttoned up and ready for implementation. She's also a member of our strategic planning committee. Sultana has an MBA from Webster University, and outside of work, she's a member of the Samawar Network, an organization that converses on community issues affecting the Afghan-American diaspora. When she's not working, you can find her hanging out with her three dog nephews, Hank, Leo, and Simba. Annie Doley is also an account executive at Gorilla. She works hand-in-hand with clients and our team to ensure all goals yield the best results. Annie is an advocate for our clients' businesses and enjoys seeing others have great success. When she's not cheering on the Missouri Tigers, you can find Annie sipping on a cup of Starbucks and playing with her adorable yellow Labrador retriever, Millie. Annie graduated from the University of Missouri with a degree in communication and a minor in business. Annie and Sultana, welcome to the show. Thanks Thanks for having having us. It's about time I had the two of you on here. We're 30-some episodes in and Uh, One of my goals is to highlight different areas of expertise that people from our team bring. And so, yeah, this is long overdue. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, for sure. We're super excited. This is also officially the the first episode where I've had two guests join simultaneously. So you two are pioneers in that regard. I'm doing another one of those soon, but you're the first. So we'll see how that goes. Don't mess up. No, okay. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into it here. Sultana, you made an interesting comment to me recently about how B2B companies are now almost having to compete in a way with the expectations that are being set in B2C buying experiences. So for example, think about your experience w- walking into an Apple store to buy a computer. They're kind of famous for or an iPhone or whatever. They're famous for their in-store customer experience or the ease of buying something on Amazon. You think of how easy it is to just find what you need and you've you've purchased it in 30 seconds, right? So, you know, these these experiences that people are having on the business to consumer buying front 
you know, are things that everybody who's in the B2B world are obviously experiencing in their personal lives. And I think they're changing expectations about what kind of customer experience people expect in the B2B world too. So I was just kind of curious to hear you know, what you're seeing on this front, because you're the one who kind of brought the, the issue to light for me. And I, I was thinking, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. So I, I think customers are going to be more demanding when it comes to things like personalization, specifically like in messaging People want to connect with people and they, and they want to feel like they're, you know, experiencing, experiencing something that's personalized. I think also transparency just in how you operate. That's going to look different for everyone. And there are so many ways to do it. You know, it might be pulling back the curtain on how you operate or a certain process or, you know, maybe it's, it's people who tend to be in the background that you bring to the forefront, maybe getting them on camera. Maybe it's an engineer or a, or a safety manager. I think also the speed and the ease of working with you is really important. You know, what does your technology stack look like? Does it take four days to respond to an RFQ? Can someone hop on your website and just quickly, you know, get on a live chat and, and chat with a sales representative? And then I think there's also going to be a lot of value that's wanted and demanded in each touch point from like an email to a voicemail to a phone call. I think the expectations for all of those are going to be really high. Yeah, those are all really good examples and things that I'm sure listeners are probably nodding their head at thinking, yep, that's that's definitely my world. And it's a lot different now than I think it was 10 years ago, 15, you know, we started our business, John and I, 14 years ago. And, and geez, the changes in technology, even in that period of time, is has significantly impacted expectations for our own customers. So good examples there. Are, are, are there examples that either of you can recall, whether it was a B2B experience as a professional or a B2B experience, B2C experience, excuse me, in your personal lives where you, you've experienced something as a buyer and thought, now that's a really good example of creating a great customer experience? Yeah, I'll kind of jump in here first. I think the one that comes to my my mind and one that everyone can relate to is the experience you receive at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. It's the one place in the morning where I don't mind skipping the drive through line and parking and walking in because of that community neighborhood atmosphere that they create. I think they have really set this expectation that no matter where you go, it's the Starbucks five minutes from your house or one in a different city, you're likely to experience the same service and environment that you are used to. I used to joke and sometimes I still do and it's in our Slack channel. But one of the things I said I would miss most about college is the Starbucks I would go to because they knew me so well. But I quickly realized after going to the one in my apartment near in St. Louis that after going there a few times, they grew to know, know, knew me. They grew to know my order. They would throw in a few drink or, you know, pastry here and there, just like the one in Columbia would do. And I think they've also really played into that need for immediate satisfaction that our culture now craves and expects. I mean, you could literally be packing up your lunch in the morning, letting your dog out and ordering your drink off the app. And by the time you get there, it's ready at the pickup counter. So I think just all these factors play into why a customer doesn't mind paying three to $5 for a cup of coffee when they could be getting that for 50 cents at the gas station. Yeah, great example. Yeah, and Starbucks is so interesting because they truly have created the experience around coffee. Like that really, that really didn't exist before Starbucks. You know, you let that 50 cent cup of coffee that you get get from the gas station and you have like the little red straw that you just put some cream and sugar in. Like that's what everyone was used to. And Starbucks created what is the experience around coffee now. And 
I'm personally not a fan of Starbucks, but I go because it's convenient and it's familiar. Yeah. And it's, I think you, you've made an interesting point. Annie, you mentioned like it's a cup of coffee, right? Like that ultimately that's what you're buying and it's, and you know, it's, it's pretty good coffee, but like compared to a gas station at least. Right. So, but you're, you're willing to pay, I mean, literally probably four times the price that you'd pay at, at a gas station or something for the, for the same thing because of the experience, the customer experience created there. I think that's a, a takeaway for anybody in business is, you know, just that point, like there are ways to differentiate yourself outside of the physical thing you sell. And it probably becomes more and more true, the more your product moves toward being sort of a commodity or an interchangeable thing, the way you're going to differentiate yourself is largely going to be in, in the experience your buyer has with you. So I like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I've had a really good experience with Big Shark Bicycle Company. So they are a local bike shop in St. Louis. Before going in, I didn't know anything about bikes. I was very intimidated by the cycling community. And I went in basically not knowing anything. And and the sales rep there was so helpful just because of like this deep expertise that he had. And he didn't use like bike jargon. And so I actually understood what he was talking about. And he listened to what I needed. And (laughs) knowing that I didn't know what I wanted, he didn't really push like the more expensive bikes on me or anything like that. I ended up getting a bike there. And then I was able to get all my gear there. So like gloves gloves, helmet, like the water bottle holder. They ended up doing a bike fitting. They installed my water bottle holder for me. They installed my bike rack on my car. Like it was just a really great experience. And I remember walking away being like, this is exactly what I needed. And this is the type of like local business that I would recommend to like a friend just because of like the empathy around the situation, the convenience and like the listening that was there. It was a really overall, really, really great experience. Yeah, I like that a lot. You think of probably a lot of businesses shy away from overextending themselves. You know, something like installing a bike rack on your car, right? Well, there's five, ten minutes of their time that they can't be, you know, that can't be spent with another customer or something, and and they're paying for that employee's time. But you think of the long term impact and the the fact that you're you're talking about it on a podcast right now, right? Like sharing this with probably hundreds of listeners. You've probably recommended Big Shark to other people now. Every time you need something, you're going to go back there and. So so, you know, I think it's it's a matter of looking beyond the the transaction in front of you with your customer and, and looking at the bigger picture and the life, you know, the I guess the lifetime value of that customer and everybody that they're going to touch as a as an advocate or ambassador for your business, right? Yeah. And Joe, I I remember I posted about this experience on LinkedIn and and you Mm -hmm. commented and you said, a $20 pair of cycling gloves today is a $1,500 bike in a year. Every touch point counts. And I always think about that because yeah, I could have even just gone in there to get a water bottle. And if they created a really good experience for me, like that would have made it like a lifetime customer too. That's a, that's great. Well, I'm going to have to ping Mike Weiss. He's the owner of Big Shark. I, I, I know him personally. Um, John and I did some some business with him actually a long, long time ago, probably a good 12 years ago at this point. But I've had a good experience there as well. So shout out to Big Shark Bikes in St. Louis. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, something I wanted to, to hit on here at our agency, Gorilla, we do a quarterly book club it's not mandatory. Not everybody participates, but many do, or at least you know, from from some some quarters they do, some some quarters they don't. I've been a part of maybe half of them that we've done. One of my favorite reads that we we did as part of our book club was the book "Never Lose a Customer Again" by Joey Coleman. 
if I'm lucky, I'm hoping someday we can have Joey on this show. He would be an amazing guest. But his whole platform is about shaping an amazing new customer experience over the first 100 days of them being your customer. And so as two client service professionals, Annie and Sultana, what have you seen to be true in the very early stages of working with a new customer? Yeah, so I think every stage is just as important as the one prior and the one next. But I would say, I love what Joey Coleman says, where he says, don't tell them how great it is to work with you, show them. And I think this is extremely important when customers are going through that acclimating stage. I think it's important that during this stage, you walk slowly with them, kind of hand-holding them through the process so they know what's coming next and that they feel comfortable. I think someone in a position like Sultan and I can often, it's so second nature to us that we can just kind of go full steam ahead. We know what's coming. We know what's going to happen internally with our team that we really need to take a step back and look at it from our customer's perspective and think about how they would feel. Because once you pass this stage and once the customer feels comfortable, they know you're transparent with them. So you have their full trust and they can see that outline you're kind of envisioning to them. If this stage is skipped, I think that's when that buyer's remorse kind of creeps back in because that they have that nervousness. They don't know what to expect. So they don't know, will the results be good? We don't, we don't know what the team is doing on the back end. So I would say that stage is so critical in retaining customers and just showing that customer experience. Yeah, I, I, you hit on the, the topic of buyer's remorse there, which Joey Coleman, I know, talked about a number of times in that book. And it's it's I've, something I have absolutely seen. And it's driven a lot of, the, I think, the changes that we've tried to make at Gorilla. You know, you go through... I think there's a lot of psychology baked into that book and, and his research that led him in, in writing it. But you know, there's there's sort of a, a peak of excitement and anticipation that hits right. I think I don't remember exactly when, but it's 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 it peaks right before the purchase actually happens. You know, you've kind of vetted all your options. You're excited about this new solution, whether it's a product or service or whatever it is you're buying, and then you buy it, and now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I just handed over my money, and I I hope that this is what I I thought it was, and and that buyer's remorse or maybe not remorse, but like a fear almost starts to set in, and a, like there's a, a nervous sense that that you get. Maybe we've probably all experienced it in, in our own lives, whether it's you know spending two thousand dollars on a computer or you know a new bike, Sultana, right? Like you, so. You know, it's it's. You know, I think it's just so important to think about what you can do immediately, and having an intentional plan and process in place for, you know, recognizing the fact that your buyer might be kind of nervous right now. They just made a big commitment, and the bigger ticket your product or solution is, the the more likely that that buyer's remorse or fear is is going to be that that it'll be present. So what things can you intentionally do, I think, is what we need to be thinking about to put them at ease, to make them know that you're there, you're a partner to them. So yeah, I like that. And I I know our our client service team here, you know, the two of you and others who have been in that role at Gorilla have worked really hard to create an exceptional onboarding process for our new clients. A, A lot of it stemmed from what we learned and never lose a customer again. But can you know the two of you talk a little bit about what are, you know, what are some of the components of that onboarding process for us? And although we're a marketing agency, and of course, right now we're talking to manufacturing folks, what I'm hoping is that some of these elements might at least spark some ideas for listeners about how they could apply similar concepts and processes in their own manufacturing business. Yeah, I think we've really we've really refined our onboarding process. I, I think the handoff is 
probably the single most important component of that. Whether it's a good or bad handoff, it's going to set the tone for the entire relationship. And it's something that Joey Coleman also just explains that it's so important to create that meaningful experience after the sale is made. And that starts with the handoff. That's a really important part. I think the kickoff meeting with all of our new clients and for people who are listening, their new customers, it's a call where the account executive and then our main point person, we'd meet and set expectations and just get excited about the relationship. And I think sometimes that's forgotten early on is that this is really exciting that we get to work together, that we get a partner together. And so it's an opportunity to like just kick things off and celebrate. And then also, you know, I I spoke about transparency before. We have created a client manual, you can call it a customer manual, but it's, it's basically this idea that I got from David Baker that we have laid out everything and anything related to Gorilla, like how we operate, how we bill, how we give feedback. It, it really breaks down so many different parts of our organization and it's laid out for anyone to see. Yeah, that's great. And I, I, I love what how that handbook has has evolved because it's you know, you're taking all the things that all the questions that we've heard over the years from people during those those first few phases or things that you know have been worries or, or concerns or how do you handle this and what if this happens and it's all right there for them before anything mm-hmm. even begins and so you, you go and then yeah the expectation setting I think is great in that first meeting like the, this is how we expect communication to happen if if we want things to be successful you know and, and it's not it's not like we're dictating like we're acting as as you know dictators they're saying you will do it this way but we're we're demonstrating to our, to our clients that you know we're experts in this we have seen things go wrong and things go right in different scenarios and if we want things to go right this is how how we believe things should play out and and you get on the same page about that and sometimes you might hear from a client well that's gonna be tough to do because of this reason or that and then you work through it but at least that conversation has been had before the problem occurs right mm-hmm. yeah what i also love about the client handbook is basically just a longer version of our kickoff call so if the client you know may feel overwhelmed in the kickoff call here they have this manual that they can go through at their own time where it goes through our revision process introduces team members and so forth so i think it's something that's really helpful at the end of the day to the customer good ad so how about when you get beyond those first hundred days or you know whatever you wanted to consider your sort of orientation period for a new customer for for some listeners it might be the first day but you know depending on what kind of relationship you have and what it is that you physically sell your your customers you know once you get through that onboarding phase, what are the things that an account manager inside of a relationship-driven B2B company can proactively do to enhance the customer experience on an ongoing basis? I think just having conversations, you know, once a month or bi-monthly when you're talking with your customer about how you can improve roadblocks they're seeing working with your team and just really overall nurturing that relationship. They can be tough conversations to have and you may not want to have them. But that at the end of the day, it's going to be how you improve and how you provide that excellent customer service, which you are striving for. I think, and Annie, to add, I think that's all really good. Nurturing the relationship is really important, you know, continuing to just provide value and, and just to be a source of knowledge for them. I think a really great position to be in is when the, cl- or when the client or customer just has a question and they reach out to you and you may not know the answer, but you can at least point them in the right direction. And, and I think just making sure that they know about all of the different services that you offer, because sometimes, you know, they may not be aware of like post-purchase support that you offer, or maybe there's a new service offers offering that you have. I think keeping them updated on that is really important. 
Yeah, good examples. I'll tell a quick story of what's probably been my favorite B2B experience on on the buyer's end. We'll give some props to the the company that produces this podcast, Sweetfish Media. You know, we I, I conduct these interviews and every week and and record them and then we throw our files to them and they make them sound really good and put the beginning and end and you know, sound bites and all that on there and help us get it published. But you know, when we were thinking about launching this podcast probably a year and a half ago at this point, Logan Lyles over at, at Sweetfish was my was the sales guy who was my main point of contact. And I, you know, from the first touch point I had with him, it was he was purely helpful. He was just helping me figure out like, is podcasting even right for Gorilla? What things do I need to be thinking about? Who could my audience be? You know, I was talking about maybe trying to do it on my own without a producer. And as opposed to trying to convince me we should hire them, he, after the call, he sent me a list of links on Amazon for all the equipment I should buy if I want to try doing it all myself and, you know, tips. And I'm like, geez, this is, I mean, you know, just genuine, authentic, helpful sales process. Well, you know, some time passes there. We're starting to think about hiring them. COVID hits. We're being real budget conscious because we don't know where anything's going. And he he kind of continued to just check in and always provide something helpful. It was never a you know a, a, an aggressive sales pitch coming at, at all. It wasn't a sales pitch at all. It was just little helpful nuggets, you know, examples of things that might be helpful to me as I keep thinking about this podcast thing. And so when we did, did decide to launch, it was first of all it was a very obvious choice that we were going to hire them as opposed to another company that frankly, it was almost half the price of them. But I could see the value that was going to be created. And then what was most amazing is after the sale, it only got better. You know, I was, I was put in touch with with Dan, there, one of their guys who's an expert in, in marketing on the podcast front. And he helped me w- you know, work through naming of the show and convinced me to name it the manufacturing executive as opposed to some, I don't know what I was going to call it, something more metaphorical. It probably didn't even make sense. And it had reasoning for that. He helped me figure out how to, you know, what I'm going to do with all my assets after the show. I had Rita, our, our account manager, sort of the equivalent of, of YouTube, but on the podcast side, who was just, Always responsive, you know, checking in on top of things, and then and then it was all the little things like you know, I don't remember what it was. I think it was when I hit episode twenty five or something. All of a sudden, in the mail, I get this little package, and it's it's uh, well, it's right here. You're looking at it right here if you're watching this. But there's like this little you know with with our our podcast logo, like a microphone box to go around it, a little branding element. They sent me like a thing to put on my wall with the logo on it, and it's just a handwritten you know note. Welcome you know welcome to Sweetfish. Thanks. You know, congrats on on making it to episode whatever it was, and and so you know, simple things that it didn't cost them much at all, and but it showed that they they cared and were were there. And then the other thing they did is they sort of welcomed me into their they're real active on LinkedIn, and they they've helped sort of prop up the show on LinkedIn and help me get exposure for it. So these are all the the intangible things that you don't necessarily even know you're buying when you buy something. So. I love to use that example and sort of just challenge our own clients to think about what is your version of that for your customers? How can you make them feel special? Know that, you know, help, help them know you're in their corner and that you're working towards the same goals. So anyway, thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, I really like that example because for clients who are listening, it really doesn't always have to be some huge like just big thing. It can be those smaller things too. It can be smaller touch points. It can be smaller like delights, quote unquote. And I think those are still contributing to an overall really great customer experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I love 
to plug in Sweetfish again, but that's where we got the idea for that welcome video intro that we sent to our clients. Yeah. It's just everyone records a quick 30 seconds of themselves saying what their role on the account is. And it gives that personal touch point to the client that otherwise we probably wouldn't have besides showing a picture of them in our kickoff call. Yeah. So just again, that personal communication, they can put a name to the face when we talk about them in calls is extremely important. Yeah, that's that's a great one, Annie. I, I love I love the impact that that can have, especially you know at this moment in time when there's there's less in person you know interaction happening, and and just to add a little context there, you know basically what we do is we say, all right, who are all the people who are going to touch this new client's account? We all just simply we we turn on our Zoom or whatever you know Loom or whatever tool we've got for recording a quick video on our desktop. Camera on, click it, introduce yourself very naturally, unscripted. This is this is who I am. This is what my role is working with you. Excited to be here, excited that we're going to be working together. And then we just sort of compile them and it winds up being probably a three-minute video with an intro. And that's been really well received. And I think it's something that any company, regardless of what industry or world you work in, could do to add sort of a personal touch at, at the very beginning of a relationship. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So the two of you are, of course, in client service specific roles, but I know you're both big believers in the philosophy that every touch point that a company has, regardless of who is making that touch point with a customer, contributes to the overarching customer experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I could go on a tangent about this. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so important and it's overlooked so many times, but a customer is going to remember every interaction, good or bad, they had with you or one of your team members. Right now, I think this is so interesting. I'm reading the book, The Cult of the Customer, which I think everyone should read. Sultana recommended it to me. But in the book, the author describes these like moments of magic where at its best, it's a touch point anyone in your organization has with the customer that's just like exceptional out of the world. And at its worst, it's still above average than what they would expect from a different organization. And the, he goes on to say that this really starts internally. So having your employees feel these big moments of magic with your colleagues, management, and building that trust from within, because then it will obviously transfer to the customer experience. So I think it's just so, so important to show your employees, and this is something Gorilla does well. I've noticed I have clients do it well as too, but just building that trust from within because at the end of the day, if you show them, they're going to show it to the clients and that's how you make loyal customers. It doesn't matter if you're in a meeting with the customer or if the IT specialist walking them through you know, their website redesign, every touch point matters. And if they have a bad experience, they will remember that subconsciously next time they talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's so important. There's so much value in taking B2B customer experience seriously. Your customers are only going to become more and more demanding. I think we we know that we've seen that this idea has to be adopted throughout your company in every single department. And I always say that it starts with the leadership team. It starts from there and it has to trickle throughout the entire company because it truly is not on just one person's shoulder to carry this, but it should be throughout the entire company. So it is a touch point for for each of those. Yeah, great points there. Well, is there anything that I should have asked the two of you today and did not or anything you'd like to add to the conversation? More of just like a, a comment for the people listening. I think when you're when you're thinking about 
for your own company, like think of a really great customer experience that you've had yourself, right? Write those down. Like if it happens, write it down, come back to it. If you had a bad experience, write that down too. Write down the why and then figure out how you can translate that to your company. Like what small things, what big things, whatever it is, like what does that look like for you? I think there's a lot that we can learn from B2C because in B2C, things are only getting faster, things are only getting better, and quality isn't being sacrificed. And I think there's a lot that we can learn for B2B. Yeah, and I would just also say, you know, no one is perfect, no company is perfect, you're going to make mistakes. Like some moments you won't have great customer experience, but it's how you react to those moments as well. And just like Sultana kind of said, just think about your everyday life. If you had a great interaction, think about, wow, how could I translate that into my work, no matter who you are at a company. Yeah, great way to put a bow on it. I, I think those are all really good points. And you know, just because we've just because we're operating in a B2B world doesn't mean that the things we experience in you know in a restaurant, at a bike store, at Starbucks, right? It, it, it all the, the the thinking behind you know that behavior is I think what you want to you look at. And then you just figure out how do I apply this in my own world. And, you know, in some ways it'll probably become kind of obvious. So we just need to be conscious of it. Yeah. Well, very good. Great conversation today. I appreciate the two of you doing this. I think it may have been your first podcast from what I, what I heard from you. And I think you nailed it. So nice job. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, obviously I know how I can get in touch with either of you instantaneously through our company Slack channel, but our audience doesn't have that same privilege. So sorry, audience, but... Annie and Sultana, can you tell our listeners the best way to get in touch if they want to follow up or have any questions? Yeah, just connect on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Yeah, I would say the same. Both of our LinkedIn profiles is on gorilla76.com under our bios. So just go ahead and connect. All right, perfect. Well, thank you both once again. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com slash learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.